I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. It's the Goblin Stompcast, the dynamic duo once again in the house. Darren back with me on the air. Hey there, how's the week been treating you? It's been pretty good, pretty yeah. good. I got to do some D and D talk at work today, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, we were just before sort of pre-show. We were uh, banding this about. I guess the uh, somebody killed somebody on some show, right? This is the news. <laughs> it it apparently is the news. That's not news. I, you know, you, you're talking about, I don't know. So what is this, the guy's name again? It's not Mike Merles. What's the guy's name again? No, Chris Perkins. Okay, Chris Perkins. And he's a big wig at Wizards of the Coast. And so, Absolutely. and he's got a game that he broadcasts. Does he, does he just uh, do an audio podcast of it or is it a video stream? Like oh God, no, it's a video stream. It's he goes and does like live shows and gets all dressed up as the characters oh. do and. Uh, it just hurts my brain just thinking about it. It it really does. It breaks breaks my brain. I I don't like it. I don't like football. I don't like baseball. I guess I can handle hockey, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. And I I can't watch an actual role playing game being played <laughs> because it's I mean, stupid. The whole point is to be there. The whole point is to be doing it. I think the reason I like watching them, I mean, I won't watch the the whole four hours of Critical Role or anything. Oh, I just don't have the time to do oh that. God. But as a DM, Who's got that I, I take something away from everything that I watch. So I see things that Perkins or Mercer are doing, and I take that and I try to, I don't know about emulate, but I try to take some lessons away from what they're doing and bring them into my game. It makes me a better DM, you think, I think. Don't you see that as a problem for people who who don't have loads of experience like you do and they 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 don't have a style already. I mean, you come to the table with a style that's been developed since the 80s. So having watched a few episodes of Critical Role is not drastically going to change the way that you game, nor is it setting any f sort of um, false goalposts for you to attempt to reach. But I think for people who don't, have that experience they may think that's the way you're supposed to come at it uh, meanwhile there's like two of these professional guys and then a thousand people in their basement you know streaming their game and their game isn't very good you know i mean <laughs> right it's not and so that's most people right not that it's not very good but it just is it is what it is and like wh why should some 14 year old kid who's never been the DM think that being what's his name? I can't. I have a shot memory. Yeah. So Chris Perkins. Chris Perkins. Why should they think they have to be Chris Perkins? I mean, you know, I I don't get it. Yeah, I agree. I think it sets some unrealistic expectations, both from people that are just getting into the DM kind of role, and for players of their DM. And I'm I've got players in my group that are heavy consumers of critical role they've watched every single episode and i'm clear 
with them that I am not Matt Mercer, nor do I want to be right. But, Matt but Mercer. right. And that makes perfect sense. And they shouldn't expect that. And I don't think they, they do expect it. I mean, they gamed with you. I don't know if they, they came to you after or before seeing critical role, but, but I feel like for young people who aren't, you know, they're just like, you know, how did we find the game? We found the books. We figured out the game we played. There was nobody to watch. Right. And so we all did it both correct for us and wrong for other people. And then we went to other games and we watched other DMS in real life. And we were like, oh, I could handle that that way. But you already had a style. You were already you. You came to it as you. And I feel like if you see this publicized in this way, it has some negative impact. It's not a thousand percent negative. And again, we're only talking about a couple of games for a couple of guys. And then, and then all these other people, though, jumping on the bandwagon. Like every time I'm on Twitter, somebody's pushing like their live game is being broadcast. And I think to myself... Could someone just come burn my eyes out of my head? Could someone literally stick a hot poker up my ass and pull my nipples off so I don't have to watch or listen to other people role playing? I well, you don't have to watch, right? You can of click course. Off. Well, of course. I mean, I have the option, but I'm just saying. You know, it seems like there's an awful lot of this material, right? And yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's pros and cons to it, right? It's bringing people to the game that have never sat at a table before. Um, some of them are good and some of them aren't just like anything else. I guess. Um, but if but you I try think it, the, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. No, I just, I, I think that exposure to role-playing games uh, is, is always going to be a positive, assuming it's kind of consumed in the right way. And expectations are there. I mean, if I can expose more people to the world uh, that I'm used to, maybe not the new stuff like Critical Role and, and what Perkins is doing, but to the way I used to game, and I'll take another 10 or 15 people that are up for a game any day. I guess. I think were it me and I was trying to draw somebody into the hobby beyond just bringing them to the table which obviously is the number one way to get somebody interested. I I don't know. I, I don't think my first, the first thing I would do is be like, watch Matt Mercer use his amazing voice talent to turn one human body into 15 non-player characters. You know, I think I would point them to something like, like we're about to dig into a, in a little while, like Appendix N um you know i would hand them a book that i think they'd be interested in maybe not even off appendix n but just in the genre or i would you know sit with them and watch some of the movies that were i think inspirational in my gaming development um i'm gonna try to not say um or you know too much tonight. i know i'm a brutal umer and you know her so um but i think that would like if i had a choice in, if someone came to me and said, you know, I, I want to learn the game, what should I do besides handing them a rule book or saying come to the game, which both I would say, obviously, I'd say also, if you have some time, pick up, I don't know, another fine myth, you know, Robert Asprin or um, read a Conan short story. You know, you want to just enter from like the smallest door possible, a Conan short story. Yeah. Right. I mean, 20 yep. pages. You can read it while you're on the crapper. I guarantee you once you sit down and open that first page, you're not wiping until you, you've ended that story. 
just not. Yeah. And, and the ones story. that are going to get into it are going to get into it. And you're going to know right. in that first 20 pages. Right. And I think that if you have an expectation about um, sort of how you want to feel during your game, that the feeling that you have as you're reading this story, I feel like for, for me, that is where I want to be. I don't want to be a superhero. You know, I just want to be heroic. I want to be the gray mouser. I want to be Conan. I want to be, I don't know, uh, it, it, you know, Bulgarian. I want to be these guys, mm -hmm. not, um, not, I guess, like some epic again this is a whole other tangent about how fifth edition for me is really about building these superhero characters and the osr is more about having characters who are at their best heroic um but that's the door i want to take somebody through and look I, you can't stop anybody from watching critical role right you just can't do it i mean it's popular it's, it's insanely popular it's so popular and i don't dislike it because it's popular i dislike it because i dislike it i watched it uh, several times they gave it a shot they were like you don't like it because you're oh, you're not even giving it a chance you know no i'm giving it a chance <laughs> like i've given it a fair shake i think matt is a nice guy for what it's worth but i i don't i don't see it as all that entertaining and uh that's all right right i mean i'm not i don't have yeah. love everything everybody else likes and it's cool that you like it it's good i guess that your gaming group likes it it means that they're they're staying engaged when they're not at the table so i'll give it a plus one for that i guess that you're no seriously i'll give it a plus one players <laughs> remain engaged even when not at the table right because if they're watching that it's a good bet they're thinking about oh my game on saturday i maybe i'll yeah and i think on some level it makes them better players too you know it would be nice that would be nice i guess i don't know I guess I wouldn't know if someone was emulating something at the critical role table because I'm not watching it. You know what I mean? Like as the DM, if you watch it and then you see one of your players try to do something that I don't know, flirp and flow hand or whatever, I don't know their names, but um, tried to do, you'd be like, Oh, I see you're trying to pull a critical role move. Right? Yeah. And I don't think people are trying to duplicate. I think they're using it as inspiration to find their own style. Um, at least in my group. Right. I don't have anybody coming in trying to be uh, Laura Bailey or Travis Willingham. Again, two names you probably don't know. No, they're just names. I don't know who they are. <laughs> but, uh, what I do see is people that would normally come to a game and say, my character takes a 10-foot step and attacks with his sword, instead saying, I'm going to walk up and slash at him from left to right to try to cut his whatever. Okay. And so that's a line we would already, we, you and I, were we gaming, that's what we would already have said, but you're saying it's right. introducing them to that level of play. Which, Absolutely. Again, I, I guess I give it a plus one for that. It's fine. I, look, I, you know, I don't think it's a shock to anyone listening to me, I, unless they're listening to the first time or never having gone to the blog. I am definitively like, like level 10 curmudgeon at the very least. <laughs> I mean, you know, I am... I am not averse to learning new things. Um, I do not have a closed mind when it comes to most, I don't know, most new information. I think I take it in 
and I decide, but, but I, you know, I also know how to process and go, no, mm -mm, not for me. No, that's not good. I'm going to leave that to the, to the side of the road and just keep moving. Um, it, it happens to me with, you know, with movies, with literature, music, and, and with gaming, with things I'm passionate about, it, it happens even, I become like aggressively curmudgeonly, I guess, because I feel like protective of what, right. of what I, you know, I know, and I don't think it's wrong and it's not wrong. And, and people will tell me, uh, people have told me <laughs> many times, my blog post the other day, I got brutalized. It's all right. I don't mind. Um, but, uh, you know, what I posted about the, the couple of posts before that was really a lot about world building, which um, in the AnchorCast last week, that was really, I think, a popular topic. It, it slid into another, interestingly, which we'll get to. But uh, one of the guys, I think it was, was it Tim Short. No, I think it was Chuck from You're Playing It Wrong, or I can't remember. I'm sorry, Chuck. Um, but... I'll I'll make up for it later, but uh, anyway, he he was saying that he noticed that a good deal. He had been talking about world building. This is interesting. He'd been talking about world building, and he said that um, a good deal of the OSR guys who he was interacting with through Anchor, when they were calling in to sort of briefly give their uh, sixty seconds about about building a world, what he found was consistently those guys were building a very organic campaign where they were putting very little information down, whether it be a, a name on a map or a couple of paragraphs or whatever, starting very lean and then allowing, creating almost like a sandbox for the players to play in. And then based on the player's action and reaction to things, growing the world outward which jived a thousand percent which with the way that i've been building my world Therun for i don't know four or five years now i forget how long i've been building it with you guys but um i think it's like why well, don't do you uh do you build your campaign settings that way and and how did you start building when you started like your first campaign setting what was that like so I go about it differently. Um, I am a world builder first. So I design the, the geography and I put a dozen, maybe more points in there, but I don't dig really super deep into any of them. So for instance, I might design, you know, the continents and the, um, the capital cities and a couple of places where there might be uh, some adventuring to be done. But when a party decides to go to the, one of those points, that's when I just build it organically. So I won't have the city completely figured out. I won't have a map of the city with what each individual building is. I don't go to that level, but I do like to understand the overall geography of the world and what's happening in it geopolitically uh, what kind of intrigue is happening what king is fighting with what king because i allow that stuff to happen in my head and in the background but all high level but all high level right okay and then when the characters begin to interact with one of those stories that's going on in the background that they don't even realize is happening at that point then i allow them 
or their actions to help direct where that story is going to go. So you're like a 50% builder, 50% organic developer. Yeah, I would say that's probably pretty is accurate. That a good ratio? Yep. And did you always play like that? Or did you at one point, because I know early on for me, I was absolutely sitting down at a desk, mapping a world, building, picking a huge, you know, the portion of it I knew the players were at least initially going to start in. And I would spend days like sequestered, cloistered as I built like every possible thing. Yep. I was there too. And, and uh, I did that for a long time. I mean, as a kid, you seem to have, at least back then, I seemed to have just an endless reserve of time Mm -hmm. in which to do it. And, and I would look, did I do it during class? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what made school bearable. Yeah. Did any DM worth his salt not have like a book with them and, and at least some, you know, a notebook, something to just keep building with. I mean, most teachers didn't bother you if you were just writing, right? They just, they wouldn't, right. they wouldn't, they bother you if you were doing something wrong. But if you were just in their class and writing, how did they know it wasn't notes you were taking? So it, it felt very natural to be like, oh, I'll learn that geometry later. And right now I've got to finish like this city. I mean, how deep did you get though? I mean, if we're... Say we're talking about uh, okay. So there's a keep. A keep? Are we talking about a keep that's the center of a town, or are we just talking about a keep? That's the center of a town. Okay, so I get all the way to the level of surrounding farms, which means I'm I'm talking. I get from the I I would work my way from the center out. So I would build the keep. Um, I'd give it two or three levels, and I would usually stock the keep sparsely i would at least um have a map of the keep i would not necessarily have a map a full street map of the city or town but i would have certain important points and those points would have each maybe a short list so i knew the different inns and the names of the inns i knew the blacksmith i knew the merchant and you know the basic guys yeah, the I common places that you know they were yeah yeah yeah. yeah yeah i would have and and i would work that out to like maybe two or three surrounding farms um and that would give me enough meat that um if i had to move something from one place to another or change something around it was fine uh that's not even counting like okay so let's say i said below the keep there was a crypt and i wanted to make sure that the players would be interacting in the keep for a good period of time. So they'll have a mission in the crypt. Well, now I build out the crypt and that's a real build because now I'm building a dungeon, which means I'm stocking the rooms. But remember I was doing this for AD and D for like basic and then AD and D really mostly first edition AD and D. And I feel like building things was easier then. I don't know why. I don't know if it was simply my familiarity with the material. Um, Well, there was less of it. There was less of it, and what I would usually do is I would put a monster in and give it, like, uh, hit dice and AC, and then I would have a page number, so I would just be able to... Refer back to Yeah, the because it wasn't like yeah. I wasn't going to have the book in front of me, so... Sure. You know, I, that, was no, that was a no-brainer. Um, and that would keep things moving smoothly, but I had a lot of time to build a lot of keeps and a lot of towns and a lot of cities, so worlds would start to be fleshed out pretty aggressively pretty quickly. Um, 
And did you get frustrated when the party went in and completely avoided all that pre-work? Absolutely made me insane. Made me insane. Uh, uh, to the point where I think, like, your reaction is natural. You just want to railroad them. So it doesn't matter if they go northeast, south, or west. They're going to end up where you want them to end up. Right. And, and that's terrible. That is a very bad GMing. People say, oh, that's fine. You can No, it's not good. Don't do that. The world should be sort of the world. And, and that's why I think over time, guys who did things my way end up gravitating towards a much more organic way of doing it. And, and I think that what we learn ultimately is when we've invested that much, we're not willing to let other people invest in the world. And that's the, the best part of the shared experience that, yep. that you build. It, it stops being collaborative when you've got too much stake in the game. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there is no doubt that I have built ridiculous things for no good reason, for no good reason. That never got used. No. And that quite honestly, are I don't even have anymore. Like you would think that you would take that with your whole life, that amount of work you put into something. But if you ask me where those notebooks are now, they're gone. They're long gone. I don't know where they are. I hope somebody has them. I doubt it. Yeah, I'm sure all mine are in a dump somewhere mm -hmm. turning into fertilizer. Yeah, oh, they probably have already, right? It's sad. It's sad, but you know what? It was a process we had to go through. Because Yeah, if, absolutely. If we, it was learning. Yeah. If we didn't go through that process, we would not have come out it on the on this other side, out of it on this other side where you know, you and I both know we are completely comfortable having nothing. Like having nothing in front of us and running right. a game. We right. can do it. We can do it. Is it fun? No, it's a little more work. I think, then, if you're slightly prepared. Uh, but we could do it. And it doesn't bother us. We could do it at the drop of it. If someone's like, there's 10 people and nobody wants to be the DM, you're like, I'll be the DM. Yeah. I've never not prepared? said that. Yeah. No, I no. don't have anything prepared. Exactly. No. I don't even have a drink ready. Can someone get me a Mountain Dew? I don't even have a drink. <laughs> are you uh, Are you at all familiar with uh, a guy named Sly Flourish? Uh, no, but I don't even like his name because I know what it is and it, it annoys me what it is. So I don't even want to know that guy. What What is he? He's actually uh, got a couple books out. Oh, it's called The Lazy Dungeon Master. I think I've heard and of that. He, uh, he, he really talks about this low prep kind of thing. He comes to the table with some index cards with a couple of ideas, a list of merchants and innkeepers and just kind of lets it go. And I like that. Well, I will tell you, like, when the when they get to the inn and you don't know the name of the inn or the name of the innkeeper, that takes up more time than running a combat from scratch. Because, <laughs> right. Because you're, you're struggling. You're struggling for those stupid names, you know? I think every smart DM has a little, has a couple of three by five cards with simply some inn and innkeeper names on them. And, yep. and just NPC names in general that you just feel like using over the course of the next few hours, because that literally can, can, I mean, think about how long you can build a character in AD&D half hour, take you another hour to name him. <laughs> right. It will. Cause you're trying to find something that hasn't been used a thousand times. It's or not, I guess you know. that's part of it. Part of it is you need the name to fit the character you just built. 
and and you'll say a name, you'll be like, that's not that fucking guy. And then, you'll, you know, you'll say right. like 10 names. You'll write down, you know, he's an elf, so there's got to be an apostrophe and an L and an I somewhere, or he's a dwarf and he needs more consonants or whatever, you know. Um, yep. You got to make it fit because you can't play a character who doesn't sound right to you. Yeah, it's got to have the right name. Yeah. If I'm playing a character for one session and his name doesn't sound right, I'll literally kill the whole character and just start, start a fresh over. one. Yeah, it'll make me nuts. I, that's probably crazy. People probably hear that. They think that is that is that's ape shit. Like, why would you do that? Well, I think it speaks to the investment that you make. I mean, investment that you make into the character sort of i guess with the assumption that they're going to probably end up getting chopped in half by so some orc dead anyway, so right? fast yes so dead so fast but it doesn't matter i would rather a guy died quickly with a good name than, than died quickly than with a, forever with without. a bad one yeah, yeah live yeah i cannot have like a 15th level epic fighter guy whose name you know is elliot you know i just can't <laughs> right it would just be so wrong. Not that there's anything wrong with the name Elliot. It just doesn't fit the guy I have in my head. You know? I don't know. That's probably crazy. Um, I just ummed heavy. Really hate myself. That is the one thing about this, like, no editing deal is that the ums and the you knows, they have been horrible. I heard myself the other day. And I was like, I should not be doing a podcast. This is terrible. People right now are going, yes, you should not be doing a podcast. It's true. I should not well, be doing one. If you teach for a couple of years, you break that habit pretty quickly. And I yeah. still do it. Yeah. Well, you're in front of a crowd, right? At least five or whatever people at a time. Sometimes I imagine you have huge groups. People don't know what you do. You should tell people what you do because I think yeah, it's very so interesting. Uh, well, I don't know if it's interesting. It is. Trust um, me. It's interesting. My primary role is is education and training. So, with you know, what but with what company? Uh, Johnsonville Sausage. See, that is the interesting part. Like, I don't think we really touched on it last time. We sort of made fun of the meats, but we didn't. We, we did make fun of the meats. We didn't tell people that you worked at Johnsonville, the brat people, the people who yeah, brought you the brat. It's interesting. We did a study, a research study that showed that when when you asked 100 people to identify a sausage company, uh, only three of them said Johnsonville and about 70 of them said, I can't name a sausage company. <laughs> so that's so, good. That's good. We're like, oh, my God, we're the leader. You're in the leader in people Italian not knowing something. Yeah. Breakfast. But if people don't, if 70 percent of people can't even name a brat company, we've got a ton of opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, the commercial work, like the commercials that you guys have done over all the branding work, has been incredibly successful. Yeah. Uh, most yeah they did a fantastic job with it. Um, a lot of people always ask, are they really actors or are they actual you know, employees? They're employees. They're... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I talk to them every single day. Yeah. You know those guys. Yeah, and some of those commercials are annoying. I don't know if you've seen these Johnsonville sausages made in the USA mm, jingle know. one. Oh god, that's annoying. Uh, but the lady works in uh, Ralph's Coffee Shop. Right, that's that's her primary role. And would they have a call for commercials? I pitched a commercial. They didn't like it. Right. Uh, but when uh, they find commercials they like, they I pick people me. and they fly them out to L.A. and they put them in front of the TV. Or was your pitch? Was your pitch? You were like role playing a Johnsonville brought 
Dungeons and Dragons session. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. That would have been a winner. They'd have been like, yes, it, this is very popular now. The Dungeons and Dragons thing, and we're gonna. That would have been pretty epic. It. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't really have that commercial running in my head right now, but I'm sure, given you know a couple of beers and a few hours, we could come up with a pretty awesome D and D bratwurst commercial. Pretty sure. Uh, yeah. So you do training, which um, I guess you, you you're not like trained for training, but I guess the military. Yeah, I spent two or three years teaching in the military as right. well. So I, I did get a little bit of training. I mean, come on. I can stand up in front of people and talk to them for hours. And yeah. if their attention is on me, I'm in. I can't. I mean, I could do it in a game, but I can't. I am not an on-the-stage guy. I, I think I would crack under the pressure, at least initially. I'm sure like anything else. You yeah, do you'd it. be fine. Yeah. I mean, I do like attention. not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a strong enough opinion on just about, I don't know, everything. Yeah, but I don't know um, if your job is the place where you want to have opinions. You know, you just want to have facts and present them. You don't. Well, no, opinions are important. Uh, stories, right? Stories are the thing that I use. To hook people that, in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've got lots of them. Yeah, I don't know. My humor is very not safe for work. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might be able to like, you know, engross a small audience of people for a moment with something interesting, but I don't know that I could like teach a cold subject for an hour. That I think is hard. What you do, I think is really hard. I, I don't think it's for everybody for sure. Oh, certainly not for everybody. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, it's got that public speaking aspect. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, you really have to make sure that when you're done, these people really do understand the material you presented them with, which I think is fantastic training for being a DM. I don't, suspect that most people get that kind of training to be at the head of a, a game table but it's pretty awesome yeah it's fun that's for sure yeah no and i, I just I... love the fact that you work there like i feel like it's a very public company and for for them for me like you're the face of that company for me <laughs> well that's unfortunate for them so when i Man. think of bratwurst i think of you that is what happens <laughs> when i think of tube meat you come into my mind that's what happens. Good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that that's really true. I think it is true, though. I think when I'm at the supermarket and I pass the Johnsonville thing, I don't think there's a time that I pass it and I don't think, I wonder what Darren's up to, you know? Like, yeah. Hmm. I think about that every time I go past a pawn shop. I <laughs> see. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's funny. Pawn shop. Ugh. You don't want to think about a pawn shop. I think I've only been into a pawn shop twice. They're fun, I guess. I don't know. They're not fun for me because I'm in it all day. But I think if someone asked me for the advice of should I go in a pawn shop, absolutely. You should go in a pawn shop. You have no idea what you're going to find. You absolutely will get a deal on something. People always ask me, what's the best advice for shopping at the pawn shop? I, I, it's very simple. Whatever the price is, uh, two things. You can take 20% off. And I think if you hand them cash and you've taken in your head 20% off, so if it's, you know, $100 and you say, well, I'll give you, you know, 80 bucks 80 cash. Bucks. Yeah, I'll give you 80 bucks cash. I think that, yeah, maybe they'll want to win the negotiation by saying 85 or something, but I think you're, you're going to be pretty set. I think if you go in there and you see something for $100 and you say, I'll give you 40 bucks for that, you're just an asshole. You really, you don't right. know what yeah. you're doing and you just shouldn't be doing it. Um, but because that's just stupid. Uh, we got to make money. We got to keep the lights on. We 
got to pay bills. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing, pawn shops for people. I'll tell you what you won't find at the pawn shop, books. I don't get sure. any books. Why would you? I mean, mm -mm. people that bring things to pawn shops don't bring books there. No, pe a lot of people, they just don't read, I think. My customers don't are not that well educated. I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying the majority of them. Uh, I, I, I think if I had a shelf full of books, they would just sit there forever. Well, that's what bookstores have, and they sit there forever. I guess. Sorry. But like, even if they were the, like, the top five bestsellers in the country or whatever, wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. They just wouldn't go anywhere. It's sad. D&D &D books would go, though. I mean. Oh, yeah. You know. That sort of thing would go. Yes, a niche book would go. Yeah. I mean, if it was my pawn shop, it'd never make it to the shelf. It'd go home. Well, there's that. Look, if somebody comes <laughs> in with a box of, you know, D&D books, they're definitely going home with me. I think that's a foregone conclusion, but it's never happened and I'm not holding my breath. I mean, people come in with camera equipment all the time and I have bought a lot of my photography equipment through the pawn shop and it's been a great asset. I cannot stress enough how much more stuff I have and how much better stuff I have um, because I've had access. I mean, it's really helped me grow. I, you know, I don't, I don't like to get caught up in any kind of big like gear acquisition syndrome thing with, with the camera equipment, but moving uh, from like an entry level DSLR to something a little more professional where the controls are a little different have really helped me understand like exposure more. Um, and lenses, you know, it's always good to have access to lenses that aren't too, too bad because lenses will get you. That's where the money is. But, but yeah, we don't get books and that's a drag because, um, books are awesome. D uh, did you come to reading before you came to D and D or did you come? To oh D &D yeah. Before? Way before, like when? way before and God, I must've been 10, 11 years old. So, uh, again, a lot of things that a lot of people don't know. I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is yeah, you like the middle of freaking nowhere. Right. And um, for me, the bookmobile, right? We didn't even have a library in town. We had the bookmobile. I know the bookmobile. So I'm familiar. The bookmobile would pull up once every week or once every other week, and I would hit up the bookmobile, and they wouldn't give me more than five books because they never believed I could read them. And after about three visits, they were giving me 10 and 15 books to read. And I was just emptying out their sci-fi fantasy section every time they came. Now, you didn't give the books back. They became your books, right? No, no. You give them back. Oh, you give them back. They are a lending yeah. library, the bookmobile. Right. Okay. Right. They just come to the rural areas that don't have access to books. Right. And, you know. Oh, good on them. I think I remember yeah. from elementary school, the bookmobile, but... We didn't really need it. We had lots of libraries. We had the school library, not, and that was okay. And then we had the local library. Philadelphia has a lot of branch libraries, or did. Many of them have been shut down, unfortunately. But yeah, um, but yeah, the library obviously not as important a place as it used to be, I guess, with the internet. Yeah, and then when I got to what twelve, thirteen years old, we lived right across the street from a library, and I spent every waking moment that I wasn't at school. In that library. So you were digesting fiction long before you picked up dice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I, I am constantly amazed at the gamers that I meet that were not readers as kids. 
I almost think it's like, again, another foregone conclusion. I feel like when I meet a gamer, we can also talk about books. Uh, and 99% of the time. It's not, though. You think it is, but it's it's not. I thought it was, too. But I am meeting more and more people uh, from, like, the guys that I game with on Thursday nights in the, on the BX side and, and just people in my Twitter stream I'm interacting with. They, they are, they are asking for like, uh, you know, recommendations. They want to know what to read next. And when I say, well, have you read this? And they say, no, uh, my jaw drops to the floor. Uh, how are you even role-playing? How, how are you, what is the movie playing in your head? When you're gaming, because like when I'm gaming, I have, I think there are times where movies play in my head or essentially movies of books mm-hmm. play in my head and, uh, or I'll use something from a book, you know, be like, oh, Elric did this thing. Maybe I can have my guy do this or whatever. Uh, and I just, I am amazed, you know, uh, a, a super guy that I game with on Thursday nights was going on vacation and he, he was asking for book recommendations and that, that came up. And I, you know, I, of course I said, well, you've read this and this, how about this? And he's like, oh no, I never read the first two. He even said, and I'm like, really? Uh, okay. Let's, let's get you that one. And that, I think, I don't know. I think I try to recommend for people who haven't read like stories that I think are narratively easy and full of like digestible dialogue mm-hmm. because I think if you give somebody like a narratively dense book right off the bat, it's a disservice. It's like someone needs to kind of come to that. Yeah. I would recommend like Belgariad before I ever yeah. recommended something like Shannara. Uh, Shannara. Did you find that like narratively hard? I didn't. No, I didn't find that huge at I mean, all. But... I don't like Shannara at all. To be honest, I yeah. read it. I didn't like it. I'm not a huge fan either. Uh-uh, but I, I love Eddings. I love Yeah, Eddings. Eddings is fantastic. Yeah, the Belgaria was great. Or even some Dritz, right? The some, Dritz, some, oh, yeah, the, the yeah. Forgotten Realms. I guess that's not bad, although I don't really play in the realms, and I always feel like they get a vibe for the realms, and the realms are magic thick. Yeah. And my games are not magic thick. So I almost don't want to steer people towards those particular books, but I do love to steer them to like Eddings or um, I always think if you give them something that's fun or funny, like uh, Pierce Anthony's Spell for Chameleon or um, other things. And in fact, I have pulled up and we were talking about it earlier. uh, There's Appendix N and then there's Appendix Moldvay which I think is interesting. A lot gets talked about Appendix N, and pretty much anybody who's listening to this podcast is going to know what it is. It's Gary's list of inspirational reading um, that's in the back of the Dungeon Master Guide. And so let's go quickly down the list. And of I'm, N? Of N. And I'm going to tell you, I have not read like a lot of this. No, I haven't either. Um, like, like I'm not ashamed, but there's so much fiction after this and even before this that this list is just his little list right um Mm -hmm. paul anderson i can tell you i've never read anything by paul anderson i've read some of his stuff um nothing that's on the list here but i have read some of his stuff is it fantasy or science fiction 
Um, he's got both. Okay. Or she, I don't know. I, I guess it's a guy. Uh, I see in his beard. I think it's a, a guy. Uh, I'm going to look it up. I think Paul is a guy. Where is my... I mean, again, living in the middle of nowhere, the bookmobile didn't bring, you know, Lee Brackett books yeah. or Fritz Lieber even, right? They brought Burroughs. I mean, right. I read the whole Martian series out of the bookmobile. Oh, they brought... I love that series. So they brought Conan. They right. brought, you know, they didn't bring Moorcock, but I have read some Moorcock. Oh, yeah. Um, Andre Norton they brought. Obviously oh, Tolkien. Andre Norton, my first experience with Andre Norton, I feel like is weird because it was Quag Keep, which is the book that was about gamers, right, being tossed into a, a real gaming world thing. Like, very strange. Uh, another series like that that I liked was The Guardians of the Flame. Sure, yep. You know? um, so, yeah, there's a lot on here. I don't... PJ Farmer? I know. I don't know who that is. No, I have no idea. Uh, I have only recently come to Gardner Fox, and I'm telling you, if you have not read Gardner Fox, that is something you should be grabbing. Yeah, and I'm kind of a heretic. This The, the Lovecraft stuff? yeah. Yeah. Not, not for you. I love it. it. I love it so much. I love it so much. It is so, it is bone chillingly, empty universingly scary. You know, like it's so, it's so dark that it sucks in the black around it, you know? And it's, <laughs> it's so, I always feel like that shit could really happen. I don't know why it's so freaking far out there. But I've spent enough time in weird country environments, like rural, where I think they're definitely keeping something Lovecraftian in that barn over there for sure. Like somebody's a triplet that should not have been, you know, or it's just weird. I saw Dunwich Horror when I was little, and that had a profound effect on me, I think. Yeah, I just never got into that kind of style of fantasy. Do you like any of the movies, like the you know, Reanimator movies, or um... honestly, haven't seen them? Oh my god, there are some good ones. Uh, uh, all right, well, we'll have to. I have to shoot you a list of like movies that you might be able to enter from the back door. Lovecraft, right? I mean, I've read, I've read Lovecraft. I, not a lot of it, but I've read some of it, and I just. I can't immerse myself in it. I don't know why. What is this Sterling Lanyer hero's journey? I don't know that. No, I don't either. Fred Saberhagen, I know the name. I've never read it. I've read some of his stuff. I couldn't name any of it. Yeah. No, I don't know. And then there's just names, right? There's like Jack Williamson, Manly Wade Wellman, Stanley Weinbaum. I don't know any of those guys. And I don't, there's no titles. So I don't know even what to look for. I mean, Jack Vance, I've read some of oh, his stuff. Dying Zelazny. Earth is so good. Oh, I love Dying Earth. Zelazny is good. Yo, fantastic. You know, I just the, picked the up the Amber series. I just picked up the Omnibus uh, at the used bookstore so I could have a physical copy in my hand from beginning to end and just try to try to muck my way through it again. It's so It's not hard to do. He has harder books, Zelazny, than uh, any of the Amber stuff to yeah. suggest. But then what's interesting is if you flip over to the Mold Vape, uh, which I'm not sure what year. Let's see, Mold Bay Basic Launch Date. 
I don't know what year. That and there's was. a lot of different names. It just it seems more I don't know modern. It is definitely a more modern list. There are several publication dates. Let's see. So Moldvay is eighty one. Oh, that's much more modern. So, well, if you think about Appendix N, uh, when does the Dungeon Master Guide come out? Yeah, but he was reading all that stuff well before. Well, he that's just it. He's reading that stuff in the '60s, and yeah, exactly. Right. So, if you look at that <clears throat> that Moldvay list, now you're seeing names that are much more modern, like Piers Anthony, Robert Asprin, yep, uh, Avram Davidson. He's got old stuff too, like yeah. Asprig de Camp. Yeah, 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 no. definitely. Um, and he's got Tolkien on there, of course, and he's mm -hmm. got uh, Moorcock on there. He's got Larry Niven. You know, he includes yep. like, like Larry Niven, I think is far more known for science fiction than fantasy. But um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on Philip as a farmer. I mean, Catherine Kurtz, that's pretty modern. Oh, McCaffrey, yeah. her Dragon Riders of Pern series, that's really modern. Did you read Catherine compare, Kurtz? Did you read I have read Doreen, Catherine Kurtz. The Doreen yeah. series, I like that. And I, it was a little strange, I have to admit. Like all that religion mixed, all that pseudo-Catholicism. Sure. Mixed in was a little freaky, but it was good. I mean, C.J. Shera, that's relatively new compared mm -hmm. to Appendix N. Oh, yeah. Yep. No, th this is a good list. This is a, in some ways, this is a better list. Uh, a lot of people push Appendix N, but uh, like I was saying, uh, a lot of the guys in the in the anchor cast verse, including like Larry from Follow Me and Die, just did a huge podcast on Appendix N and really how flexible and and variable it it is and should be. Uh, and and he goes as far as to say that uh, your own Appendix N and doesn't just include books. It includes movies and music and, and television and all of the things that influence the game. And that's really, that's what it is. Inspirational source material doesn't have to be the written word for sure. Um, but a lot of it, I mean, I definitely, I read so many books. And, and again, I, like, I was blown away. Oh, no, I haven't read that. I haven't read that. I know what? What are you talking about? Like, where have you been? How do you game? Yeah, on some level, I remember the the kind of desert fantasy levels of the late '80s, early '90s, where nobody was publishing anything, and I would go to the store and not be able to find something I hadn't read yet, and it was kind of crazy to me. Yeah, as I'm walking through the bookstore trying to find things I haven't read, and there's nothing there. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's, there was definitely a vacuum for a while. And now there's a glut of literature, but here comes the curmudgeon again. Like, I don't like a lot of it. Uh, I don't know why. Something has changed in, in what is being published. That's not to say I haven't been able to find books to read. I absolutely have been able to find them. Uh, but I remember in 1982, I could take it, my hands, reach to the bookshelf, pull four books out from any place on the shelf and I would, I could read them and I, I'd like them and I never read them before. And now uh, I'm hard pressed to find a book that I really can sink my teeth into. How do you find them? 
I mean, do you look at the covers? Do you read the errata? I mean, that is an interesting question. So I'm a little bit of a book scumbag. I just want to say that right up front. I'm a little bit of a, I'm a bit of a pilferer, you know, and, uh, and, and it's going to rub some people the wrong way. But what I'll do usually, and I do this with music too, I guess I'm, I don't know how proud I am of it, but, I, you know, money is not cheap. And I cannot spend money on a book that I may not enjoy. I, I'm at a point where money is too important. I, I have too little of it and too many expenses. So my options really are to either not read because I'm not willing to take the risk or to, to download books. And, and I found that there are some easy ways. So what I'll, what I'll do usually is I'll make a stop, say, at the Barnes & Noble website. And I'll see what's new. And I'll try to figure out if any of it from just the little the little blurb, if any of it seems like it's catching my eye. And if it does, I will copy and paste and I keep a little list. And then I go to where I download books and they're readily available. I'm not going to get deep into how I do it because that's mm -hmm. not cool. But um, yeah, so I sort of do it that way. And then if I read three chapters and the book has not captured my attention or I find that the writing is bad or dull, which it often is, uh, then I just, Delete. yeah, I just don't bother. Uh, so yeah, that's generally how I do it. Um, I guess there are people occasionally make a recommendation. I'm always trying to recommend books to you. I, I, I sure. Absolutely. And I pick most of them up and I get your Goodreads. Um, like your updates. So a lot of times I'll be like, Oh, he's reading that. Maybe he'd be, want to do this or maybe he'd be into that. Uh, but sometimes I just find books wandering around too. Like I go to the used bookstore a lot. It's massive. Like my used bookstore is phenomenal. It is like you, it's like somebody threw you down a, a book well into a, like a book basement. There's like flickering lights and there's broken ladders and stuff on high shelves that no one's seen for 20 years. It's, well, that's it's perfect. Oh, my God. It's like its own D&D &D adventure going to the bookstore. It's the best. And the guy who owns it is phenomenal. It's uh, Port Richmond Books in Philadelphia. If you haven't been, support your local used bookstore. So I, I know you're a huge – so I'm just going to bring this up. I haven't been reading nearly as much as I used to. Right. Um, no, because, well, I don't either. It's hard. Time is uh, for me, Audible has been kind of a godsend for my quote unquote reading. Yeah. 90% um, of the books that I've read over the last two years have actually been audiobooks. That's a huge number. Because I can sit at my desk and plunk away at a document or do work while. You know, uh, you? Robin Hobb is is floating around in my head with her assassin's Assassin quest. Yeah, I I don't really. So you can listen to someone tell a story while you're processing other words for other things. Oh, absolutely. I can't do that. I can barely listen to music with words if I am writing. So well, this is, is work. This story. is work writing, not writing writing. I understand, but I I think I would lose track. My problem was I was falling asleep. 
and not at the wheel, by the way, but I would lay in bed and I would put on an audio book and I would pass out and I'd forget where I was. And uh, that's, uh, that was sort of like a turnoff for me. I did enjoy it actually on some level, but I couldn't yeah. keep doing it because I think one of the things that it's doing to me is it's getting me to, I don't know, read, listen to books that I wouldn't otherwise read because quite honestly, some of them aren't well-written, but the voice talent makes the book amazing. Mm. So, but then is the reading, book amazing then really? Uh, the story is good. Um, it, when I read, I tend to read with a much more critical eye. So how many times can you describe somebody flipping their raven hair back, you know, that kind of descriptive repetitiveness, um, in, in, in the written word is very apparent to me, mm. but when I'm listening to somebody and the guy that I love the most is uh, a guy that, that reads a lot of fantasy, Nick Podell. Uh, and he's reading a series that I'm listening to right now by an author named Melissa McPhail. And it's the Pattern of Shadow and Light series. And she is insanely descriptive and repetitive with the way that she describes character traits and stuff. But the story is really interesting. If it was an actual book, I think I would have gotten tired of the description. But Podell does a fantastic job with his voices and his descriptions and it's not overwhelming to me i notice it but it's not oppressive like it, it would be if i was reading it but do you do you still think it's a very different act the reading and the listening yes right okay like yes. you're an active participant in reading i think you're very passive in listening not that there's not mm -hmm. active listening there is but you cannot like wander away from a page and still be reading the page. Right. Whereas you can sort of, you know, wander away from a voice or a song or whatever. But when you read, do you read word for word? Mm, no. no. Well, I mean, it depends. There are authors, you know, like Pat Rothfuss, I have to say, I know it's a bit sycophantic, but there is something, I mean, look, I'm as upset as the next guy that I don't have the third book in my hand, but, if this is what it takes, if this is what he needs, if this is, if the space is what he needs to get this work done, because his sentences are unbelievably tight. They are good yep. sentences. And he, it is clear that he cares about crafting each and every one of them. Like to the point that maybe that is what slows him down. I don't know, but it's great. And, and yes, yeah, so there are books there are books where every sentence means something. I think when I read the Belgariad, I didn't skip a sentence. But there are absolutely books, especially ones where the narrative is soupy thick, like chunky, mm -hmm. like you need a spoon and a fork to get through it. Where yeah. where I may I may like employ speed reading eyes to try yeah. to make my way through it. And I may be a little bit heretical here, but you know, Lord of the Rings was kind of like that for me. Oh my God. I mean, uh, the Hobbit. That's not heretical. Different. No, that's, that's the Hobbit. Thing. I read closely. Yeah. But the Lord of the, else? Yeah, oh Lord of the Rings. It's, yeah, it's a slog, man. It's a slog. And it's not that I didn't enjoy the slog. Uh, and I know that there are people who read that book that closely, mm -hmm. but not me. Um, Robert E. Howard, when I'm reading Conan, it's like I'm watching a movie. So it's flying by my eyes. Right. 
But Moorcock, again, here is a guy, like the books are not thick. And so every sentence is like a piece of a song. You know, when I read Elric, and the same thing goes for when I read Coram or um, Hawkmoon or, you know, any of them. Mm -hmm. They're all, all those books. I mean, he is putting so much energy into bringing these very strange spaces to life. And no, not everybody does that or can do that. I don't think everybody has that ability. Uh, I think uh, Neil Gaiman is like that for me. I, I close read everything he writes. Hmm. Some people don't like him. Mm, um, I like his graphic novels. I can't say I'm a fan. I can't say I'm a fan of his fiction that much, uh, but he's had his hand in other things that I've liked. Yep. Television series and movies and you know that sort of thing. So I have recently been revisiting a lot of guys. I feel like in my in my like in the height of my middle age, I am returning to the source material. You know, so. Uh, Zelazny and Moorcock. Um, I'm even like I just sent you those Destroyer books, which I read in high school, and there mm-hmm. are there is well over a hundred of them. I don't know that I read every single one, but they well, are. and I I picked up Lieber because you said you got to reread that. Yeah, yeah, and Swords you know? Against Wizardry is definitely better than Swords of Lankmar, but I feel like they're all worth a read, uh, and it, you may read. One and just like, I don't get it, or it's not for me. Uh, but I am definitely returning not just to the older source material, but even the source material from the 80s, just my own personal source material. You know, there were books that I read, some of them are like strangely obscure, like Lyndon Hardy's uh, Master of the Five Magics. It's a great book. If you have not read it, uh, I suggest it. It is not hard to read, it is an interesting story. Uh, and then after that is Secret of the Sixth Magic. And then there's, a, I think, Riddle of the Seventh or something. Do you, um, do you tend to stick into the fan, fantasy genre or do you kind of, do you read sci-fi? No, much? I read sci-fi. I just read uh, The Lives of Tao, um, which I'm going to look up. Cut out a little quick. bit there. The Lives of... The Lives of Tao, T-A-O. Okay. Written by Wesley Chu, C-H-U. Yep. I found it very entertaining. It is a science fiction book. It is essentially about a race of aliens who land on the planet. They are insubstantial and they require human hosts and uh, they, you know, bond with those, like symbiotic bonding with those human hosts. And they have formed two, essentially two factions that are warring. And it is an interesting read. I have not yet read the second book. Uh which I'm not sure. I think it's the deaths of Tao. So, but that was good. Um, I I do read outside, read some fiction, some fiction, and uh, I mean some nonfiction as well. Really depends. Um, I'm trying to go into my. While we're talking, I'll go into my Kindle app. Yeah, I, I think with as little opportunity as I have to read, um, I do not dabble outside of sci-fi fantasy much. Really? Yeah, I just, I mean, there are some things that I'll that'll jump into, and again, audiobooks, right? Right. Uh, for me, have been um, have been a thing, but I try to stay in what I enjoy, right. and oftentimes, once I get away from that, 
not a huge fan of some of that stuff because it's not engaging to me. Uh, some like historical um, army war fighting, civil war. Right. I like stuff social can commentary. Be really interesting. Yeah, I like social commentary. Ugh. So I know it's weird, right? I it seems like something I wouldn't be interested in, but um, I'm reading one now by Erica Garza called "Getting Off," which is a woman's journey through sex and porn addiction. And I think like I heard about it somewhere, maybe on NPR, and I thought to myself, "Well, you just don't think about like I'm a man, and I know uh, what a perv men can be, but you don't think of women as necessarily having." Um, those feelings or that sort of addiction. I'm also reading, because uh, I have a recent teenager in my life, The Teenage Brain, which a uh, psychologist digs deep into their own children's brain. I believe it's um, Francis Jensen, a doctor. Francis Jensen, a neuroscientist survival guide to raising adolescents and young adults. <laughs> so, And it's pretty current which is important because I think that if you read older books like that, they obviously will not contain references to the internet or social media, which I'm really working hard to try to navigate. Like I'll give yeah. you a, for instance, my son has been asking me for days. He's 13 many days. Now he has been asking me for grand theft auto five. Now he plays uh, call of duty. He plays um, black ops. Uh, so he plays also uh, Rainbow Six, which he loves. And I like him playing Rainbow Six. It's a team game, and you have to work with the team to accomplish mm -hmm. the goals. I, I, am, I have no problem, really, with him playing war games. I feel like I grabbed a plastic gun and played live war games, and if he's able to emulate something like that through his PC or his Xbox, I'm fine with it. Grand Theft Auto is a whole different animal. Yeah, that's a pretty kind of r-rated deal yeah drugs and hookers and look i don't he's 13 and i know what i was doing when i was 13 and i know what i was reading when i was 13 and i know what i was watching when i was 13 and a lot of it was probably i don't want to say it wasn't healthy but probably not meant for a 13 year old i don't i mean did i consider myself mature for 13 or at least like intellectually mature at 13 i did maybe i was i don't know i i think he is pretty intellectually mature but he is still 13 and a game that like embraces well, you know hookers and drugs and violence at the street level i'm not too sure about you know mm -hmm. i'm just not sure that i want him I, I i would be more likely to let him watch something like uh i don't know uh, just like name a gangster like a street level thug movie or uh, i don't know i mean even like boys on in the TV. hood yeah i would let him watch boys in the hood or i would let him watch colors i would let him watch colors i feel like that is an important movie you know uh, is he well, something like sons of anarchy or yeah, I might what let him that watch that. What was that show about the, the teacher in the bus that did drugs or made crack or something? Oh, oh, the uh, Walter White. Um, Breaking, yeah. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think I might let him watch Breaking Bad because, you know, there are consequences to what is happening to Walter White. And he is a very sick man. And uh, I think that my son would digest all of it. And there's there's a lot going on there. But with Grand Theft Auto you don't really have there's no 
No, there's no deep undercurrent there. Yeah, essentially, yeah. and and I don't know. Do I find it funny? Yeah. Do I find it entertaining? I don't think so. I think I tried to play it a couple times, and I think I'm just long yeah. long past my video game days. But I know there's guys who are my age who are heavy, heavy gamers, you know, and they love Grand Theft Auto. I don't know, you know, the teenage brain. So yeah, so I'm reading that. I, I you know, I, I'm saying you know so many times now. I know we're I know we're at the end of the podcast when I'm saying you know, 500 times. Um, I don't want to Follow, like, followed by an um. Well, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want this to turn into a discussion about my kid. I, I mean, I I have attempted to turn him towards gaming, my way. You know, role just not interested. He's not, and I don't. I would not force him to be interested if he at, at some point gains interest, or if his friends pull him into a game. I'm fine with it. In all likelihood, if they pull him into a game, it's going to be fifth edition. I'll hold my tongue. You know, <laughs> it'll just be what it is. I'm always willing to run a game for him, but it's not going to be 5e. You know, you're going to have to do it the old way. Because that's how we do it. We're like the Jedi. We do it the old way. I, 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 I can't. I don't want, I want him to have his own, like, discovery voyage of things, you know, the internet, it brings it all to you in a weird way where I feel like yeah. when we were kids, we had to go looking for it or, or someone else had to have it and bring it to you. Like bring it to us. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, have you seen this? Like I remember when somebody sat me down and I watched, you know, heavy metal for the first time, I was probably 13. I was like, Holy shit. I literally, I literally, that was religion. I think I, I was like, Oh, Oh, this this is what is important in life. Yeah. Give <laughs> this, me more. Yeah. I need like a hundred more hours of this movie. Unfortunately, uh, Heavy Metal 2, an awful, awful, uh, you know, craptacular film. But at least they tried, I guess. I don't know. I, I have not shown <laughs> Ethan Heavy Metal yet, and I, but I will soon. And I wonder what his take on that is going to be. You know, the music's of a particular uh, era. The artwork is of a particular era. I, yeah, I don't know. Can you bring them back to the filmography of those days and have them be impressed with it? Well, I will tell you that I have introduced Ethan um, through comedy, some old film to some old films. Uh, I don't know. This could be another podcast, but you know, he's he's been watching Mel Brooks films. He's been watching Roddy Dangerfield films. We watched Airplane together. He quotes those films. He likes those films. So. There's hope. I guess there's hope that he'll come around to the role-playing way of thinking, but I don't think it's going to be me. That, I think he's going to have to come to it on his own. Well, yeah, I think anything that him. I, yeah, anything I want him to do, he's definitively not going to want to do. Well, that's what kids are, right? Yeah. I so they tell me, I mean, yeah. Oh, trust me. It's, you know, uh, you, I said, you know, again, I, you don't know. And, and I don't, know that it's better or worse that you do or you don't like i don't know how you feel about it inside or if you even think about it that uh, you didn't make any babies but uh, it's it's really not for everybody and i think a lot of people who make them it wasn't for them either <laughs> that's a true statement that is, i really feel <laughs> that way statement. i see people with babies all the time and i'm thinking oh you're, that's going to turn out very badly that is not going to turn out good 
Uh, so, I don't mind. Might not turn out good. I don't want knock on wood. I don't want anything. I'm working. It's work. It's effort. You're you have a whole section of your brain that did not have to worry about that. So, uh, good on you. I don't. Yeah, know what... I used it to play D and D. That's all right. That's Man. that's all right. It's fine. It's a good thing. All right. Well, we've talked about Appendix M. We've talked a little bit about world building. We're coming up on a little over an hour. So I think we should let these good people get on with their day. Hopefully they had a half hour ride in, a half hour ride home. And now we're, we're closing out their afternoon. Uh, I really, I'm, I love that we could talk forever. You know, we could. So hopefully we'll be doing this again next week. Uh, the, there will be an interesting blog post tomorrow along with the posting of this episode. I'm doing a switcheroo with uh, this fellow named Chris Lar from the Facebook page, uh, First Edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Uncensored. Uh, also, uh, he has a web page, but I'm sorry, Chris, I am totally flaking out. Hold on, I'm going to go in and I'm going to find it right. Funky-grognard.tumblr.com. So he's the funky, if you just put in funky grognard, you'll find him. Uh, very nice guy, he asked me to do a guest blog post on his blog, which I think will be coming out in September. And he did one for mine. And so that's going up tomorrow. So that'll be the content that sits below this content. Uh, so check that out. Looking tomorrow. forward to it. It's yeah. Be cool. Check that out. Uh, I don't want to give anything away about what I wrote. I'm not going to give anything away about what he wrote. You'll just have to go to the website and check it out. It was fun to do. I like that. Uh, I, I hope you have a great week. Do you have anything big planned this week? Anything going on? Of yeah, here? just... Not really. Going up to the my alternate Saturday game about an hour north of here, and we'll see right. how that turns out. All right. I'll be expecting a game report. Next time we'll do a game report. We'll, we'll set aside five minutes to hear what happens at your game. Uh, that I think it's interesting. I think people want to know. Uh, are you playing in a, a homebrew setting? Or yeah, it is. It, well, kind of. Um yeah, we'll save it for next week. Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk it's a, about it's your a game. unique. It's a unique game. Cool. All right. Yeah, I want to talk about your game because I don't really know much about it. I mean, I know when we game on Sunday what we're doing because I'm running it, but I don't know what we've been do what you've been doing. So that I am interested to hear. Okay, let's do that next week. Then, until next week, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to end a podcast. I guess you just click the stop button. That's right. probably the best way to end it. All right. That's what I'm going to do. Clicking stop and now.